Adrian Hinojosa. I gotta learn to point right. <laughs> I point it and this way because this is the way that your feet. Yeah, but it's this way. This way. So if I point it's this mirrored. way, I gotta remember. I away? Gotta remember. Mirrored. Mirrored. So. So I'm pointing at nothing right now. Right there. That I'm pointing. This is you. Away from you, but yes. Okay. There you go. Oh, yeah. fingers are touching. <laughs> And I'm yeah. Chris Eaton. Already shenanigans ensuing. Um, how you doing, Arian? Man. Surviving this weather? I'm doing fantastic. There was a, a tornado alert for like 15 minutes. Like, what is uh, rain and cold? Last night there was hail. I'm like, man. This... It's almost like it's winter time, isn't it? I never thought I'd say this, but kind of miss the sun. Yeah, you guys get it like nine months out of the year, so a little rain never yeah. hurt anybody. Yes, uh, we are swamped out here in Southern California. It is soaked. In fact, as we're recording this, what was supposed to be the first dry night, there's more rain coming through. So it's a uh, it's a fun time out here. But we're not here to talk about rain. We're here to talk about cool stuff. We're here to talk about the movie that we will be reviewing tonight, mostly because, well, Arn, what did we do last Friday as of this recording? Uh, we went out to the 30th, the unofficial 30th anniversary reunion and screening of Guyver 2, Dark Hero. Right? That was amazing. Yep. That was amazing. Held, oh, my God. So held at the great... Frida Cinema out here in Santa Ana, California, my neck of the woods. Uh, the only nonprofit independent art house that's uh, out here. And uh, part of the reason I love the Frida so much is because they made it to where I don't have to drive out to L.A. anymore to watch all the nerdy screenings that I usually uh, went to. And I still go out there because there's a lot of cool stuff. And um, in fact, I just found out something today that I didn't get the American Cinematheque is doing a screening of Godzilla minus one on the 10th of February with Yamazaki in person. No and way. It's sold out, out like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think two and a half minutes or, or something like that, as I was told. So um, I think it's, it was at the Santa Monica location too. That theater seats like 400 people. So it's, it's pretty big. Um, but this this showing though no 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 this this was this screening kind of came out of nowhere my buddy Jeff alerted to me last month because they hadn't really advertised it yet but when they made the announcement first off Guyver two on the big screen hell yes because this movie this gem of a movie never got to see theatrical release it was a direct to video movie. Now you would call it director streaming, but back in our day, in the glory days of the video stores, you had your theatrical films, you had your limited releases, and then you had the movies that were not permitted to go to theater, but they went right to the rental stack. But sometimes, Shame. man, sometimes those those are the hidden gems that you dug for. I mean, uh, Tremors 2. Uh, what else? What other great direct-to-video movies are there? Was RoboCop 2 direct-to-theater? Or no, I saw RoboCop 2 in theaters. You did? Okay. Yeah. Uh, a good one, Tremors 2, you took it from me. It was director video. Mm. That was Guyver 2 is a good one. I wouldn't yeah. say I wouldn't say Pumpkinhead 2 is, is good. 
It's not. It's That's not. why. Um, those are the ones it's that kind of a bad head. movie. Birds Which, 2 is not good. Psycho Psycho 2 is not good. Yeah, there aren't Psycho a whole lot of... Psycho 3 is pretty good. Never saw Psycho 3. Is, is, is Psycho 3 or Psycho 4? I'm trying to remember which one he calls into the radio station. That might be 4. That might be the one Mick Garris directed. Um, but there are there are plenty of gems. I mean, back in the day, uh, most of Jackie Chan's movies went direct-to-video when they were imported because that was the other market. You know, uh, all the Godzilla movies yeah. that got released over here all went direct to video. <clears throat> so it is it. There was a time when you could just wander your video store and sometimes they would be out at the thing you wanted. And you're like, oh, well, let me see here. And the 80s and early 90s had glorious box art. And that's what usually what tricked you into renting sometimes a lot of times kind of a fledging pile of crap. But then every once in a while you find just something magical like a puppet master's. Oh my god! Or, I didn't even think about the full moon catalog of directed video, which is yeah, there you oh, go. Oh yes, oh yeah, or like a subspecies or something like that. Yeah. Like, you, you'd find some gems in there. too. Oh yes, good yeah. stuff. Uh, what was it? Uh, what was the Rugger Hauer one? Was it Nemesis? It was kind of like um, like a low budget. Uh, if I remember, recalls Nemesis was kind of like a low budget almost blade runner esque but with like an actual serial killer like you know oh. cyber demon looking thing oh oh i remember the box you know what i'm talking yeah. about right yeah i remember the box with the, the cover guys. had him with like yeah yeah and he's like over him he's like yeah. kind of black yeah yeah, yeah. no, no there, there was there was some really great stuff out there but guyver 2 like my guyver 2 is the reason why i got into guyver um in 94 a young, spry, 10-year-old Chris, uh, he would get these... Uh, I would get the old previews catalogs. Yeah. My dad had two buddies that ran comic book stores, and so they just like, here, give this to your kid, because I would collage anything Godzilla at the time, and previews was probably the only place you can get anything resembling Godzilla half the time, because as, right. as much as there wasn't a lot, um, Diamond would would import from time to time some preview stuff. And then around that time, I think Dark Horse was putting out the the comic books, too. So I took everything I could back then. Because you got to remember, no internet. It is a dry valley. And anything Godzilla I could get a hold of, I, I took it all, including clippings. I have clippings from TV guides. That uh, just the rundown. Like, this is what you did when you were 10 back then. The kids these days, they don't know how good they have it, Arian. You no, have your, no. you got a, you have the world in your hand on a phone or a tablet. So, I was clipping newspaper articles. So, but I remember seeing a, in the back section they would sell, anime, like it, it yeah. was maybe like ten pages, not like today yeah. where it's like half the goddamn book, but the Viz and LA Hero, and Manga Entertainment would sell through Diamond. And that was the first time I ever saw this thing called Guyver. Yeah. And it was, I think it was the LA, when LA Hero still had the license, they were putting out like one of the last few tapes. I just remember being awestruck by the art. It was the standard, it was the silhouette, the cutout of Guyver 1, just facing, you know, side the side view. I just remember looking at that over and I'm like, what the hell is this? And then a couple of months later, 
I'm at Warehouse Video. Do you remember Warehouse? Of course. Yeah, you do. So if you didn't rent from Blockbuster, you rented from Warehouse. And if you didn't rent from either of those, you were at the Slim Pickings that was Music Plus. Never had any of those. Yep, which all became Blockbuster. Blockbuster bought them out. But yeah, Warehouse was where we rented our movies from. And I, uh, so our warehouse was huge. So the front section was the retail area. Videos on one side, music on the other. I'm 10 years old. I don't give a crap about half the stuff that's out there. You know, this is the prime time of like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and like Tupac is like huge. Didn't care about any of that. I bolted right to the back section. You went through a little turnstile. And there's the movie section. And then in the front of that was the video game rentals. So first thing I would do, I'd run over, pick up my Super Nintendo game for the weekend because that was our Friday night thing. My mom would take us to block, to warehouse. Usually pick up, I'd rent Mega Man X for the 19th time. And then we go, it's like, all right, go find a movie. And I found a lot of old school anime that way because in the kids section, they shipped a lot of that stuff. And that's how I saw Guy King for yeah. the first time. Yeah, so I did. saw... Yeah, that's how I saw the Ultraman anime. They put out that movie that was the second half of the of the, uh, of the show and edited yes. into a movie. Ultraman, the Adventure Begins, Ultraman 2, I think you said? Yep. yep. Yeah. And I remember walking along and all of a sudden, it just there was this videotape, this VHS cassette that was just sitting there. And I'm like, wait, that looks like, is that what I saw in the, the that previous mag? And it was this, this cover. Oh, the actual right Giver movie. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there was no real anime being rented at um, Warehouse. Blockbuster didn't start doing that until, like, I think later on. I think they started renting, like, the LA Hero stuff. But Warehouse had none of it. So whatever I could, could consume at the time was whatever was on TV. And I think at that point, my passion for anime started when I discovered Ronin Warriors. So Hell yeah. But this, this was this this captured my imagination. I'm looking at it. I have it in my hand, and I'm looking on the back. I'm just seeing monsters, and it's it's. Li- I mean, the DVD cover is literally. I mean, Arian has my v- my old VHS copy. I gave it to him, and I think it's verbatim this exact thing on the back. Is it not? It is. It is. And I remember, like, being 10, I'm like, I want to rent this. And I saw Rated R. I'm like, my mom's not going to rent that. So I didn't get the, I didn't get a chance to watch it until some years later. So, uh, and by that point, um, I had discovered the anime. So I didn't actually watch the movies until after I watched the anime. And, the, and I kind of went in order. So I'm 14, 13, 14. And for Christmas, because um, I saw him, ironically, at a blockbuster music, all the LA Hero Guyvers. And by that point, manga was starting to sell them, too. So I, that Christmas, everyone's like, what do you want? And I'm like, I wrote this down. I clipped it out. I'm like, this, find me these. And within one Christmas, I got all, like, between the manga and the LA Hero, I got all of them on, on collected. And I remember sitting there, like, being 13 and just like, having my mind blown by how viciously goddamn violent this show was. Um, my Christmas that year was also a little TV VCR for my room. 
and all these Giver tapes. And I remember just taking them upstairs. I popped the first one in, and within moments, that opening, like, Giver just crushing the Zonoid's head and just blood going. I'm like, this this is not this is these are not the cartoons I'm used to. Like I it was it was kind of a, a shock, but as I tell these kids these days that think that they're you know, was it Jushin Kaisen or whatever the hell it is, like, no, oh, it's hard seven. Like, no, 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 no. You did not come up in the time when you had no idea what the hell you were gonna find when you rented something. I remember renting Cutie Honey for the first time. The new yeah, Cutie Honey? Yeah. Yeah. Just because it looked cool and the opening seconds in that is her naked. And I was just like, I'm, yeah, again, 13. I'm like, what the hell? Whoa. And when you're 13 and you see a booby, you're like, oh, okay. I'm just hope no one catches me. Like it's that those, those formative years. So yeah, it took me. So 94. So it wasn't until 98 that I actually finally watched Giver 2. And I actually saw the original Giver, the first one, uh, like two years prior to that. And remember being whelmed? It's uh, it's not a great movie by any means. It's fun. I don't think it's a bad movie, but I don't think it's a good movie. So I was kind of like, all right, well, I've watched everything Giver at this point. I need to track down this uh, Giver 2. I remember being out with my mom, and I went into a Suncoast, and there was to buy. And it was on sale for $9.99. So me being like 15 at the time, not working, I had to bum 10 bucks off my mom. who made a big stink about it. And I remember taking this home. The next day, I faked being sick so I could have the house all to myself. And I popped this thing in. I remember just being wonderfully amazed by how genuinely awesome this movie was and how just miles better than the first one it was. So especially after having consumed the anime as much as I did, um, just in, enjoying uh, how it hewed closer to the to the anime at the time and just how much more violent it was. But also being a Power Ranger kid, I couldn't help but love just watching dudes in suits just beat the crap out of each other because that's what I grew up on. So, yeah, man. This it's, having, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, that's a great way to put it. An R-rated Power Rangers movie, because yes, ninety four. This was right after Jurassic Park. Power Rangers was still in the air. A lot of stuff. Right, ninety four is when this movie came out. Ninety four, ninety five. Ninety four is when it came out. Yes. So at the time this movie coming out it's still really early on. I mean, we're not even, we're barely in the mid nineties. So everything, you know, CG is barely a thing. Pull back, uh, pull back to the mic a little bit. Sorry about that. CG is barely a thing. And the, the way they use the budget on this movie is you see every penny on screen, right? Yes, you do. I, I was sitting there watching him like, this is, this is a movie. This is, a, mm-hmm. this is a movie movie. I haven't, granted, I haven't seen this movie in 20 years, but yeah. this is great. Sorry, continue. So the beauty about Guyver, especially as I got older and uh, pursued my passion of film, uh, there, there are times when, yeah, you watch like a big budget movie, and I'm like, that's awesome, but there are a lot of other times that you watch a low budget movie 
and you are amazed by what was put on screen for what you could tell is very little money. And it's that creativity that comes out of it. Like, it's a reason why I love like Tetsuo the Iron Man, because that movie was made on like peanuts and there's ingenuity and creativity in that movie. Guyver Dark Hero embodies that 100%. Um, especially after listening to Steve Wang and the rest of the cast who showed up for this thing. Like they had like just about everybody there. Anybody that worked on that movie for the most part showed up. So David Hayter, who starred in this before he was Snake Plissken, um, was uh, he took over the role of I think it's Jack Armstrong from the first movie. Much better performance, by the way. Uh, he gave it a little more um, chutzpah. Let's just say that. But uh, listening to Steve Wang uh, kind of wax poetic about what it was essentially, as he called it, he was like, it was a summer camp. We shot the movie in like eight weeks. Um, it's been about five years since I last watched it. And sitting there and watching on the big screen, realizing like it's supposed to take place in Utah. And I'm like, that's Angeles Crest like highway. I've driven up that highway more times than I can count. So it's, it's, you know, once what, what you see, you know, behind the curtain, it does add more to it, though, because it it's... Okay, so we're going to go into this in a minute, because I love this goddamn movie. I love it to death. It's got heart, it's got charm, and it is a movie that looks great that was made on $750,000. Like, you can barely buy a home for that out here. And they made this 90-minute movie with arguably some of the best uh, suit monsters like you'll ever see. Steve Wang is a genius when it comes to this stuff. Um, if you don't know who Steve Wang is, Steve Wang, he's a master sculptor. He's a creature maker. He His biggest claim to fame was, I think, building the... I think he actually physically built the Predator suit and added uh, a lot of details to it. Stan Winston had... Um, given the basic design, but I think Steve overall gave us what the final look was, but he's also designed a million and five different monsters. Like there's, I mean, another one was the gill man from uh, monster squad. Yeah. Uh, he's worked on everything. So he direct, he co-directed the first Guyver movie at like the age of like 24 with screaming mad George, who's another uh, effects guy. Um, You've seen his work. Uh, there's a great Brian Usina movie called Society. If you've never seen it, go watch it. It's bonkers, but it's fantastic. And it's got the ending, the end, like third act, there's this scene they call it the shunting, and it's all these mutants. Like, think of like the end of, um, what was it? Uh, the, um, the, um, the James Gunn movie about the alien that takes over the dude from Mallrats. Uh, why am I blanking on it? Um, Slither. Oh. The ending of Slither, when he starts, like, all the people start, like, melding together, like, into, yeah. like, a big amorphous block. That's society did that way before, uh, you know, the James Gunn ever did it. So these two decided that, you know, and Scream Mad George is Japanese. Steve Wang is um, Taiwanese. I think Hong, from Hong Kong or Tai or Taiwan. Um, yeah and uh so they both were they both come from that background they know what manga and anime is at the time you gotta remember 1991 
when that first movie came out, no one knew what any of this stuff was. And for some reason, people were cranking out movies to these unknown... They were big in Japan, but they weren't... Anyway, they were cultish at best out here. In that, in like a three-year span, we got Guyver, we got a Fist of the North Star movie, which is something Hell we should yeah. talk about one day because Hell yeah. I, I I kind yeah. of defend that movie. It's it's no, kind it's of great. fun. Um, and Crying Freaking Freeman, directed by Christoph Gans, who made Brotherhood of the Wolf. Like mm-hmm. it's it's insane that these movies even got made when they did. Like you think about in the late '80s when those crappy versions of like the Marvel stuff got were coming out like the Dolph Lundgren Punisher yeah or that horrific directed video Captain America movie yeah this is even deeper cuts so that like if you were into anime you had to you were like in your like late 20s early 30s and you were like a film nerd and this is this is the only way you knew about this stuff and someone's like let's turn this into movies so I guess the first one did well enough according to um Steve Wang during the uh, com- you know, his Q&A afterwards. And they offered a sequel to Screaming Mad George. He said, I don't want to do it. I just want to make monsters. And Steve was like, let me do it because I want to make up for all the mistakes in the first one. And they're like, cool. The first one had a budget of $3 million. This one has $750,000 and you got to make it work. And he's like, sure. And off they went. Um. So listening to him talk, and by the way, if you really want to read up on these movies, there's a great book that's out. I think we're, we're going to try to get the author on. It's called Budget Biomorphs. It's about the making of both movies. Fantastic book. I'm nearly done. i got to give it to Arian because uh, it's uh, written by a gent named Dom O'Brien. Uh, I, was, I talked to him on X, and I told him I would take a copy to the screening, so I got him some pictures with it there. Just shout out to him. So hopefully we'll have him on in a few weeks. We can really deep dive into this stuff. But uh, listening to Steve going like, no, this was my this is my vindication. This is what I'm going to I'm going to do better. And my God, did he? So, um, Arian, your thoughts? Because th- how when was the last time you actually watched this movie before we sat down and saw it? At least 15, 20 years ago. Um early 2000s um yeah um last thing i saw it was uh when did the dvd come out the dvd didn't come out until like 2016 because it was only available through water archive yeah um the first movie i think got um got two releases i think warner archive released it and then arrow put out a version i have the arrow copy yeah so Unearth nice Films one. has the R-rated cut, I guess, that's different from the Arrow one coming out later this, this year. So we'll see if that changes much, but uh, it's packed to the gills. Um, sadly, no love for Giver 2. I keep hearing rumors that Arrow is going to do Giver 2, and nothing's come of it yet. So it's this is... 100% it's a shame. If any movie deserves like a special edition, this is it. Um, like for me, it was like five years ago when I last sat down, watched it all the way through. But and seeing it on the big screen, it there's something about watching a movie. There, this is why I am very adamant about the theater going experience. 
when you watch a movie at home, you're easily distracted. Even if you know you turn off your phone, there's always something that can distract you, and you always have that option to pause and walk away. And I hate I hate doing that. That um, that's just the nerd in me. But it, I feel like you you lose something if you're gonna pause and and come back. Like you're kind of already checking out. A movie, a theater demands you sit there. It ain't gonna stop. If you gotta go pee, well, guess what? You're gonna miss some things. So. And not, but just seeing it projected on the big screen too. There's just some beauty and wonder to that. The thing I forgot about this movie is, uh, yeah, David Hayter hadn't really honed his acting abilities at the time. And watching with the cast and crew, they were laughing harder than the nearly sold out crowd that was there. Like they were all sitting in the back, and like there is some really corny moments in this movie that i had completely forgot about but you know what it's it's charming as hell it's just a step above an episode of power rangers yes oh 100 just 100 i mean besides the monster gore there's like maybe they swear maybe like Eight times, like the F words dropped like eight times. Like it's enough to garner an R rating, but there's really nothing else in there. Like if you, I would, would you say this is any more violent than Shin Kamen Rider? Uh, any more violent? No, mm-hmm. I think uh, Shin Kamen Rider is more violent than. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird when you're talking about Giver because Giver's known for its violence. Um. But yeah, just watching this movie uh, on the big screen, just in there, like you get to really take in a lot of things. And one, I want more movies to be shot on location again. I mean, yes, they they all the outside stuff in this movie is shot like up in Angeles Crest, like in the hills of uh, above Los Angeles, and then oh, there's all the cave stuff that was done in like a warehouse, like in Van Nuys somewhere. Um, I but, I love that about this movie. Uh, this movie takes place in three or four spots. Yeah, I mean, aside, aside from aside from the intro, you're in he's in a industrial area. Like, I think it's the same warehouse before they built all the the cave stuff. So yeah, there's really yeah. yeah there's his there's his apartment which looks like it was someone's back office. That they just threw a bed in. It was the look. There's a shot that looks like it was in the. Um, in the San Fernando Valley in 1994, 93, whenever they shot this thing, if you didn't grow up out here, you look at it and you're like, yeah, that looks like Reseda. Like, that looks just as crappy and trashy as Reseda was back in the 90s. So, um, by the way, also predates the earthquake. So the earthquake was in January. So they shot all the stuff before a lot of that stuff got wrecked from the Northridge quake. Um but also the fact that they just drove like 45 minutes north, like above, like uh, if you know the area, that's that's um, if you come into LA, there's there's the mountain range that we have, San Gabriel Mountains, and there's a complete um, highway you can drive through it because it's beautiful. It's all forest. It's steep, steep cliffs. A lot of people roll off of it. Um, Case in point, if you watch the last Jurassic Park, there's a shot when they're showing like news footage of like dinosaurs running, and a guy hits a stegosaurus that's crossing a road and goes over a cliff, which makes no sense whatsoever because why would a stegosaurus be wandering like this far from like a cliff edge? But 
it's real video. The guy rolled off of it, uh, rolled rolled his car coming out of that that highway, and it's like 50 feet from where they shot the scene where uh, David Hayter is about to jump off this giant cliff. Yes. So anyway, let's let, let's 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 kind of break this movie down. So it is both a sequel and its own thing um, to the first Kyver. They do make the connections. It's the same character. It's Sean Barker, which is the Americanized version of Sho Fukamachi. Sure. Uh, close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Whatever. You know, it's always funny when it's like, okay, we got to wipe this character up because you can't find any Asian actors. Um, Sean Barker so sounds like your uh, Sean Barker sounds like your IT guy. So go call Sean. One hundred percent. To the like point. An IT that, guy. Well, David Hayter used that as his uh, stage name for a while when he was doing voice work. Oh, really? You remember. That's funny. Yeah, there was like four or five years when he was like a struggling actor, and then I think he became the assistant to Brian Singer, and that's how he wrote X Men and got his right. career going. Yeah. Nice. But this was his first acting gig, he said. This is like the first thing he ever really went out for, and he managed to get it. And, you know, it's a young, spry. David Hayter before Solid Snake. And I think he's like 25 in this movie or something like that. Already much better than Jack Armstrong's version of Sean Barker. He doesn't kind of look like a tool. He looks like a dude who's, you know, he's supposed to be suffering because the Giver armor uh, is making him go out and quench its thirst for blood. So it's already taking liberties from the anime manga, but I'll give credit to this. Um, even by Steve Wang's own account because he helped write the, the script. He wanted to hew as close to the books as he could with the budget he had. So a lot more of the lore uh, really gets explored uh, in this movie than even the first movie. I mean, the first movie, it's the Gavri unit, you have Kronos, and you have kind of a stand-in for, like, Balkis and uh, Guo. And then that's kind of it. Like none of the monsters are the monsters aren't uniform. They're their own things. One of them is the dude from Good Times. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of wacky and out there. This one, no, no. Immediately the tone's darker. The movie opens with a, like a botched robbery, and the guyver shows up and just like I forgot I I, I could have swore he murdered all three, but no, he just kills the the main dude. The real scummy, you know, Miami Vice looking dude. Who is the uh, who is the cop that they? He, he was somebody. The cop? No, the cop was a production assistant. I think was he, he was the. Yeah, he worked on the film. He's like, an, he was maybe one of the. Um, uh, I think he said he worked in. I'm probably gonna. I'm. I'm gonna botch this, but. Yeah, he he worked on the movie. He was in. He was something like he was. He was like a. Gap or something like that. Got it. And because they're on such a limited budget, everybody that worked on this movie was in this movie. Uh, so, like, later on when um, Sean goes to the dig site in uh, Utah, which, again, like, he has to hitchhike there. And I love how they did it because all they did was just, all right, we're going to go a half mile down there, walk with your thumb out like you're Bill Bixby from The Incredible Hulk. We'll get you in a car, get it going about 30 feet, and then we're going to go around this corner and make it look like you've gone, you know, 300 miles more. And, like, it's the ingenuity. 
the ingenuity of of shooting uh, uh, low budget filmmaking. Um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the campsite. Everybody that doesn't have a lot of lines or is just a background character were all people that worked on the film. Either the makeup artists, the gaffers, uh, the technicians. Everybody had a scene because they're like, we got to fill this thing up. So, hey guys, get in here and so we can shoot this scene. So, fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it, we do get like closure from the first movie because they do bring Mizuki back, who's a again a uh, uh, kind of yeah. a version of you know the you know from the anime. And then she's like, "Hey, uh, yeah, I'm done with this. You can't not be Giver." And it's like the thing's attached to him. Come on, like what? Here's the thing I don't like about female characters in movies. Not female characters in general, but this is something that writers do that always bugs the crap out of me. Case in point, uh, the great movie Warrior with Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy. I love that movie. Right. But they threw it right front and center in the damn preview that Joel Edgerton's character, he's he's got a wife and kids, and... The wife has given him crap because she doesn't want him to fight more because we got daughters. It's like, I'm trying to make money here for us. Like, that's the whole point. Like, this over-concern, not listening to reason, that is something that a lot of female characters get written as, and it bugs me. It bugs me. It bugs me just as much as, like, Adults acting like kids and kids be, and kids being written like adults in movies. That bugs me too. Isn't, isn't there like a test for that for movies where it was like there has to be uh, two female char- who name female characters? The Bashel, uh, ba- it, uh, Bastille test, I think it's what something it's called. like that, right? Yeah. Do you think this movie passed the Bastille test? What was it called? Uh, no, because the, the idea, because part of it is two female characters have to talk about something. That's not the main character. That's like not a guy. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it does fail. It does fail the test because at one point, the new girl, Corey, who's running around in a tank top the whole time, um, she's talking to one of the other girls that, that's working on the site, and they're talking about something, and then they come around to the mysterious drifter who's come into the camp, and, you know, they're talking about him for a minute. So, yes, it, it completely flatlines it. By the way, Again, what just there's a fun. It, 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 if anything, this this movie is the best com, American common writer movie that we are ever going to get. Because yeah. after Arian has made me watch more common writer than I've ever watched. So now that I have a better understanding of common writer, watching this movie, I'm like I'm like Steve, okay, Steve Wang wanted to do this, but deep down he wants to do Common Rider. And years later he actually got to do Common Rider. But I think this is the version of Common Rider he's always wanted to do because there are a ton of parallels to Common Rider. And to be fair, the manga has the parallels too. There's there's a lot of Common Rider influence in it. But um just the way it's shot, the way the script's written, like it plays like a 90 minute episode of like Common Rider for the most part. Some of the goofy dialogue, um the rock quarry fight or the, oh, the outdoor fight. Yeah, we'll get into that. But just like you have to like with those shows, 
you have to put certain amount of oh, how do I put this? You have to put a certain amount of 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 reason away because you got to keep the story moving. So love acceptance. He's like we'll accept. Yes, going on like Sean on. shows up in this small little Utah town because he saw this uh, big site on like a tabloid show. And then the same thing, like same show talks about a werewolf attack. And he's like, zoonoids. I got to go. Yes. I need to kill something more than bad guys. And I need to go back to killing monsters. So, and he's been drawing these little like K painting looking things in his sleep. So he's like, I'm going to go to Utah and see what this is all about. Shows up and he's just, he's asking an old timer at a general store. Like the other thing about a dig site. And of course, the hot girl who happens to be running the dig site happens to be there buying the biggest pack of Bud Dry I've ever seen in my entire life. I haven't I, seen Bud Dry in they still do they make those anymore. I don't think Bud Dry is a real. Th- I don't. I think it's gone away. I know you know who makes you know Asahi makes dry. They're dry beer, but yeah. I don't think Bud has done dry in a long time. So seeing that just kind of. Take away pink because even yeah. even back in '94, as a young kid, even my dad said that's a that's a trash beer. Like he don't want to drink that stuff. So I'm pretty sure it's whatever um, whatever you know some petty money that uh, Steve gave to some some gopher to go pick. He's like, I need the biggest pack of beer you can find that's under ten bucks, and probably found that twenty four pack. <laughs> it's like here you go. By the way. Absolutely no, like they didn't like, look, we're a direct-to-video movie. Who cares about product placement? Like any other movie, they would have to spend hundreds of thousands to get that cleared. Then they're like, yeah, Bud Dried's getting a, a shout-out because it's the cheapest beer we can get. I'm surprised they didn't do like Bud Ice. Wait, that's a thing. I don't know if Bud it- Ice was a thing yet. I'll tell you what's still going on. The Bud Bowl was still going on at that time, but that's that's for, that's for another time. But yeah, like him showing up, convincing the girl, hey, I saw some things in my sleep. Let me come hang out at your, at your dig site. And then her going, okay, I trust you. I believe you. No, no, no. First, first, he, she's like, go away. Drives off. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back and says, like, get in. Yeah. Something in her intuition is telling her. I should listen to this dude. This is a rando dude. Cause that's how, yeah. that's how girls are, right? They just yeah. pick up. It's like yeah. he's hot. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a ride. He doesn't look suspect at all. Rolls into the dig site, introduces this dude. By the way, there's clearance and stuff that has to be done. Just like yeah, just walk with me. Just we'll go in here. Let me show you the cape. Walk in, introducing him. And of course, he has to come up with some BS or he's like, I came from this university. No one bothered to double check. No one bothered any of the stuff. Just, hey, hey, this dude, he just showed up. So here you go. We're introduced to the rest of the dig team. There's her father. And then there is the financier, Crane, who is watching this time around. 100% is Burke from Aliens. Like, the character of Crane in this, he is 100%. Oh. I'm like sitting there like, oh, they just took like, Burke. No. For a second, I'm like, no, that's not Paul Reiser. What do you, like, oh, yeah, got no, it. No, it's the character. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Not Paul Reiser, but yeah, it's 100% Burke. The sniveling, 
you know, company man trying to work his way up, like 100%, this is Burke. It's like yeah. kind of unsure of himself, taught, getting getting browbeaten by the boss, which is unofficially Guo from uh, from the from the anime and manga. Um, and then just him like hanging out. Everyone's like, yeah, cool. New dude's here. Let's keep digging. So they, uh, they continue on. And at night, the, the dude who was on the, um, the, uh, like kind of like the hard copy that led yeah. Sean to the spot, he's got a photographer out there and they're trying to catch this werewolf that killed his brother. And the werewolf shows up and it's not a werewolf. It's a goddamn zoonoid, a big rhinoceros looking one. And which looks like Darzerb. Like uh, there's definitely some inspiration of Darzerb from the from the manga, but it's not quite Darzerb. It's like Diet Coke Darzerb. This thing mauls the photographer in an awesome uh, a scene I completely forgot about, just rips his damn head off. Yeah. And then drops the body, comes after the dude, Sean and this and the girl, Corey. They hear it, and he's there because they were told, oh, there's a bear, you know, might be a bear in the area, and they think it's a bear attack, and he runs off. Now, again, at least the script was clever enough to point it out. Like, I'm going to go take care of the bear. You go get help. And, she, you know, Corey runs off. She's like, wait, he's going to go take care of the bear. Like, what the hell does that mean? Guyver's up, finds out the Zonoid. They have a very cool but quick battle in the middle of the woods at night. Which again really leads me. I want more natural locations. This, the fight scenes in this movie all look phenomenal, and having like the real scenery around there helps a lot. That's part of the I think part of the reason why we love Sentai, and uh, because they just go out to a rock quarry and shoot all these things because also you yeah. get giant explosions going everywhere. So now Sean knows that there's Zonoids around. Thought he defeated Kronos. Thought he defeated them. And little does he know that there's another guy in this camp that's not all he seems to be. Uh, this uh, this dude who uh, was talking uh, to someone we don't see. At first, we think he might be a Kronos agent. No, no. He's actually he's actually a CIA. And he's investigating this dig site. Because uh, they're getting, they're getting worried. Yep. And he suspects Sean to be up to no good. And Sean's like, well, I think you're up to no good. So now we got like 20 minutes of these two, like not trusting each other. Um, but because Sean showed up, activated his Giver, the Giver calls out to whatever's in this dig site that they're trying to dig out and opens this fissure. And the next morning as they're checking, they're like, oh, we found something. Clear it away. Turns out it's a ship. So then just. And I just went, whoop. You good? Yeah, good. So, anyway, so they discover the ship. Now, Sean's like, oh, this is what I'm here for. Yeah, get in that damn ship. And inadvertently, much like Superman, kind of like pretending, like when he's in a crown, he's kind of got to use his powers, but he's got to be like low key about it. Um, the two little diodes on Sean's back that contain his guy unit open up the ship. And of oh. course, Sean's allowed to go in because why not? No one else is going in there, but you know, the Corey's father crane and, uh, you know, 
Corey and Sean herself. And I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's go walk around. Now, as for the actual shit, to to be fair to Steve Wang, he hewed close to the uh, designs from the manga. So this is one of those things where he really was delving in. Um, like even the even the anime didn't get that far. The OVA didn't, you know, there's the Mount Minakarmi arc in uh, the manga. And the anime stops like three-fourths of the way through where the Viz, when Viz was releasing it out here, they stopped like right after they got into the ship. But there's a whole sequence where Guyver 1 and Guyver 3 find a ship. They go in there and they find like all the answers. Like this is where we see uh, in the uh, manga Guyver 0 for the first time. And we get the full backstory of what Kronos is, where they came from. Like you're introduced to Arkenfell, you're introduced to the rest of the Zoe Lords, the creators, which is the big thing. And then we get to see the birth of the Zonoids and Guyver Zero. None of that was available out here, and Steve Wang's like, I'm shoving all this into this movie, which I applaud. Um, so, and to be fair, man, he made a hell of a set. Those set that set looks absolutely fantastic. Like, there's that nice combination of biomechanical that Steve Wang's best at. Like that's, that's like his bread and butter. But as they're like walking around, like you can hear the platforms, but it's the sound design really works with it because it's fleshy metal because that's what the Giver is. And that's what the, the creator's technology is. And there's some beautiful um, uh, matte shots in there too, to really give the size and scope that are mixed in with some miniatures. I mean, look, come on. You appreciate a good miniature set, don't you? Of course. It how looks beautiful. Does, how, how, did it, how great did it look on the big screen, too? You know, it looks amazing. Again, every every dollar of that $750 is on screen. But what's mm-hmm. even cooler is before the show, there was they were showing behind-the-scenes images, and you can really see the scale of how small this thing is. You could see, like, someone's maybe the size of my hand, you know, mm-hmm. people work on, you're like, wow, this is, it's amazing. Oh, some great, for, there, yeah, there's some great force perspective shots. Um, just get, again, beautiful, like beautiful ingenuity, ingenuity, something that so, in this day and age would have been a complete green screen and would have just been yeah. the actors standing on some boxes. Like, no, no, no. I want more of this. I want them to be at least give me the illusion that they're there. And not everything looks like it was just generated by a bunch of tech nerds who are being underpaid. Um, but it's here that uh, that uh, Corey discovers another Kyber unit, and Crane takes it away. Yeah. Yes, but this Kyber unit's damaged, which again harkening back to the manga and the anime, Kyber Two had the damaged unit. If you know anything about damage units and Guyvers, yeah. Oh, always ends. It never ends well. So uh, that's where Crane really shows like his slimy, corporate-y, douchebag side. And Sean starts to suspect that, like, I think these guys are Kronos. So he's trying to talk to the ship. Shipping talking back. And uh, so he's getting fed up. I'm like, well, why am I even here? Well, Kronos is here. And now Kronos is suspecting, like, think this guy might be the Giver because they know the Giver's in the area because the Zonary Zil- fought, got away. So he obviously went off and told, like, hey, 
Guyver's here. And so Kronos is like, well, crap. Let's bring this guy in. We need the Guyver unit back. But, uh, you know, Crane doesn't tell him, hey, we found another unit. You know, we just, we got the ship. And there's stuff to be, you know, there's a treasure trove of stuff to be had on the ship. But I didn't tell you about this Guyver unit, though. I'm going to keep that close to the vest. Um, so Corey protests. She's like, hey, no, 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 no. This is our dig, which her dad's like, oh, well, they're paying for it. So, and this leads to a bit of a corporate takeover at the site. And uh, so they figure out Sean is the Giver. They drug him. They kidnap Corey. And they're going to run off with the uh, unit. And then they're going to kill everybody else that's not Kronos at the site. And Crane is uh, kind of getting a little bit belittled by his superiors, which, again, is supposed to be Guo, saying, uh, hey, you better bring that Guyver in, or we're going to we're gonna off you and find someone else who can. So he looks at that case. He's like, you know, I'll show you I'm a big boy. I can do this. Which then leads to, arguably, one of the best sequences in the entire movie, this outdoor chase sequence. So... Corey's knocked out. She's in the back of this Jeep with these two zoonoids in their human form. And then all of a sudden, they're driving through this, this back trail, and they get stopped. And the car, the, the Jeep that they're in, it gets lifted up, and you see this other zoonoid attacking them. And it's telling her to get away. Flips the Jeep over. And then the two zoonoids inside transform, and they burst out. 100% common Rider style. Like it's the flying through the air, the land. The whole thing is shot like it's a Sentai movie. Mm. And then we get a two-on-one monster battle as they're chasing. But who's who's this mysterious Zonoid? Oh, we find out. We find that out in a minute. As the Zonoid's trying to protect the uh, the girl, we find out as they're talking to each other too. But the Zonoid that's helping Corey happens to be none other than her father. So when he sold out to Kronos, they turned him into a Zoonoid to keep him, keep him in check. So there's a little bit of Agito's dad being turned into Enzyme kind of thing here. So there's uh, there's a little bit of that going on. And even in the uh, later on in the uh, series, Show's father getting kidnapped and turned into uh, Enzyme too. Like there's there's a lot of that stuff. Eh. Kind of remember, yeah, I remember. Show has killed both. No, he didn't kill Enzyme One. Enzyme One, Balk has killed him. So he fought both. He fought his own dad and Agito's dad. So, yeah, just, I just sit there realizing it's been a minute since I really pondered the manga. <clears throat> Great fight ensues. Uh, CIA agent helps uh, Sean get out of his uh, his confines, and he's like, "I'll call for backup." You go do your thing. And uh, Sean runs off. But now here's a – I don't know if this was just a – did you pick this up? Because they clearly drug Sean. Like one of the Zonoid uh, officers like sticks him with like a needle that looks like, you know, like some sort of like knockout agent. Right. He, he gets up. He gets in a, in a truck, and he's kind of driving off. And at times he's like – lurching around like oh yeah you're drugged like you shouldn't even be awake 
But when he comes to a stop, gets out of the uh, the truck, and there's this beautiful shot. They're on top of this this ridge, low clouds, which doesn't match anything where where the Zonoids are fighting. And he's screaming for Corey, and she hears him and screams back. Uh, he just jumps off the cliff and you know transforms midair in one of the best absolute best sequences early cg2 by the way yeah like the 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 cross and down and then just getting up into the suit which first time you really see the suit in daylight i need more daylight monsters in my life these suits look phenomenal and that guyver suit is absolute perfect perfection in the daylight it looks magical so it seems like after that, uh, oh, yeah, hey, you're in the guy suit. The you being drug ha has no bearings anymore, which it kind of it bumped me just a little bit. I'm like, but to be fair, I mean, Steve Wang, go ahead. If you can drive, then I think you should be fine. Although they wouldn't promote being drugged and drive at the same time, would you? Well, he was drugged. He wasn't drunk, but, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's monsters fighting. You got to be you got to get to where the monsters are fighting. If 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 monsters are finding, I'd sober up real. I'd be like, whoa, we got a got a job to do. Yeah, um, yeah. It it felt like so. There's a sequence when they knock over the jeep initially. Yeah. Before they take the fight down to this creek, and um, Steve mentions that he's like because that that scene just kind of happens, and then it just explodes, and then nothing comes. It's almost comical. And so in the Q&A, uh, Steve was telling me, he's like, so here's the thing. I don't know if anybody knows. That Jeep blows up for no reason. And people kind of went, yeah, we're, yeah, what's up with that? He's like, so the initial idea was Sean's chasing after Corey and the Zonoids. He's on that cliffside, doesn't know where they're at. And the idea was the Jeep would fall over, explode, and there would be a smoke trail coming from the smoldering wreckage. And that's how he was going to find them. But on the day of the shoot, when they're on top of this ridge, there's like a 75-foot drop, you know, under them. And there was no way to get down there because it was rattlesnake season. So they could not figure out a way to make a convincing smoke trail. So Steve, uh, at the last second, is like, we got to figure out some other way to do this. So he's like, just have him call out and then have her answer back. I'm like, well, what are we going to do about the Jeep? It's like, we already shot it. That cost... X amount of the budget. We're just going to leave it in. Who cares at this point? Which I kind of love the brass balls of it. That's so cool. then begins the uh, one of the coup de gras of this movie. This absolute delectable fight sequence that takes place in broad daylight. And it's Guyver taking on these two zonoids. So there's the rhino zonoid and this other bug insect looking thing. You want to talk about American tokusatsu at its best. This is 100% American tokusatsu at its best. The fight sequences in this are miles above the first movie. And I believe they were done. Um, who's the gentleman that did it? I have, damn, I have the name. But he's gone on to work on many, many of the Sentai shows and actually a few Ultraman shows. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can find his name. Yeah, don't have it right here in front of me, but I apologize. But these are done 
exceptionally well. They are there's a little quick cutting, but you know what? It works. But there's there's the flying through the air, the jump kicks, the punching, uh, the actual suits taking damage. Um, then it gets into this whole sequence where they get into this it's supposed to be a creek, and all three monsters and the guy were fight, and it looks amazing. There's something about fighting in a creek with these suits that just made it look that much more badass. <clears throat> Guyver takes out one of the monster, the insect-looking monster, by female, cutting right? it, cuts it in half. Comes down with like that drop, like that. It, it's like a uh, like. I forgot if he did it like an elbow drop or if he went cut down, but he had his blades out. Yeah. And then it's just this beautiful scene. You hear the snick, like again the creativity. Like you can't show him cutting through, so you le- you let the mind fill in, but you let the sound effects do the talking. Which again, the sound design on this is is amazing. I I actually asked Steve, I'm like, whose idea was it to have all of the like fight movements sound like jets? He's like, that was me. I'm like, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It just adds to the whole. It gives it a whole different oomph. Like every time Guyver's moving, every time he does a jump kick, every time he does a punch, it sounds like a like a like a fighter jet going off, and it's absolutely insane. Cuts one zonoid in half. They just see it just like split, fall in the water, chases the rhino zoonoid out, and then lays into this guy. And here's the thing that he does in this movie that I don't think they did in the first movie. They actually make use of the head laser. So not the the little bean. Yeah, that's above the uh, control metal. Like they actually got some some nice shots in there where he blows out the one the zoonoid's eye. And you're like, yes, this is what you want. You want the gore. And then does the thing that every anime does when you have two strong guys. One guy's inevitably going to snap the other guy's hands and just rips the hands in half on the zonoid and then crushes his skull. Oh! Got an applause. Almost a standing ovation because once it's done, you're like, damn, you made this on $750,000. This is this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um but then the movie kind of so then we come back around the movies moving forward like and we're from this it goes directly into the third act. CIA guys show up, get their asses handed to them. Crane has brought in a couple more zonoids. Turns out everybody that you know was a part of his you know his crew were also zonoids. Reuses the um, what was it? It was the I forgot the name of the zonoid in the first movie, but he reuses the suit from that one <clears throat> and. We go into this whole sequence in in the cave where Guyver goes into the cave and uh, Crane tries to, like, reason with him. He's like, hey, you and I, we could be buddies. We could be pals. We could take down Kronos. We can do this on our own. Like, you know, he's like, do you think I like being a, being a Zonoid? No, I don't. And Guyver's like, yeah, eat it. Eat a fat one. I'm not buying into this. And he's like, all right, whatever. So Guyver manages to get into the ship under his Guyver uh, with the Guyver armor activated. We see this beautiful flashback sequence that gives us the origin of the species. The creators showing up in their ships. Never seen, by the way, which is great. That's always that's something they have yet to do in the in the manga. But we just see humans being built. And then cavemen turning into zonoids. And then eventually the first Guyver unit being tested 
on a, on a, on a human being, which I 100% forgot that that was in there. Like I remember yeah. that the, the prehistoric scene, I forgot about the guy version zero. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Oh shit, I forgot this, this, this was in here, which same suit, but they redesigned a new head for it. And they gave it like a knight's, like an armored mask look. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So it's very brief, but it's there. And I'm just I'm like, damn, I need to. Re- it's been a minute since I rewatched this. So Sean comes out uh, after the other Zonoids go in, doing that prerequisite. Someone gets kicked out of a room and falls onto a platform. Uh, we get the dad pretty much turning on Crane. So there's a Crane, uh, uh, Corey's dad Zonoid fight. And he gets this giant pole stabbed through him. He's just spewing up blood. <clears throat> Sean shows back up. So now we're playing toss the uh, the suitcase around. The CIA agent takes it, runs off, ends up fighting the female Zonoid, which I can't recall if there ever was one in the anime or the manga because I'm 99% sure they were all male. Like all the all the Zonoid soldiers are male. Now, they might have done female Zonoids later on, but I can't recall any actual Kronos like agents. Oh, yeah, there was. Was I'm there? Out of control. Oh, that's true. Well, she wasn't a Zonoid, though. She became a, you know, she became Giver 2, F. Oh, that's right. But like an actual Zonoid, like a female Zonoid, I can't recall. I There might have been, but I don't think initially there were. Fights over this case, electrocutes her, Giver and Crane kind of bad a little bit, but then CIA agent shows back up with the case. Case is empty. Guy one's like, you didn't. He's like, of course I did. And then bio boost in front of him, and we get Guyver, and the only time this has been done, the Guyver Zoonoid. So, and this thing looks bad ass to hell. It's Steve's take on the Guyver design. So he took some liberties with it. It's got these huge, like, because the crane zonoid has, like, those mandibles that talk yeah. with him. So, like, the Giver unit forms over it. That's the cool thing about the Giver unit. Like, he did mention in the Q&A, too. It's like, the idea is, now that it's attached to crane, if he morphed in his human form, the armor would change to match his human form. And in zonoid form, it would change to match his zonoid form. He's like, I couldn't oh, cool. quite, yeah, he's like, I couldn't quite explain it there, but he's like, that's the idea. So it would have two different looks. Um, and then proceeds to have one of the absolute best fight scenes on a minuscule budget I've ever seen. Arian, come on. As as a man who loves Kamen Rider Sentai, how beautiful was this fight sequence? It was well lit. It was awesome. I mean, it's shot in that, like I said, the fourth set they used. It's the main set that when when they introduce everybody in the cave scene, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's flying kicks. There's punches. There's a lot of grappling. You can, if you haven't seen the fight on YouTube, go check it out. We're introduced to the writer kick, too. That's true. That's well, well. Technically, we're introduced to it, but they actually stole it from a, uh, a little scene Hong Kong film. And I'm like, we're going to do this. And then it, beca- it went into legend because 
I believe it was the same fight choreographer that ended up working on, I think it was like Undisputed 3 with Scott Atkins. Oh, nice. Like, hey, we uh, we did this in Guyver. You want to do it here? And it became like the, um, I forgot the name that they gave it. It's just based on his character. But Scott Atkins started using it, and then everyone started using it. But Guyver's really, Guyver 2 is what made it popular. Even though yeah. it's like wrestling. Bret Hart did not invent the sharpshooter. No, his father didn't invent it either. It was shown to him by Conan, but Bret Hart made it popular. Uh, thus, Guyver 2 introduced the Guyver kick. So, beautiful fight sequence. A little gets a little goofy at times, like to show that the unit's kind of broken. Like when Guyver 2 starts running, he starts running on his hands. There's like a like a uh, that's true, like a Jushin Liger like kick, like a like a. Um, uh, taekwondo kind of kick and starts getting like just starts hammering on guyver one like and we get a little more blood like he stabs him with his with his vibration blades and like you see the blood come out of the out of the steam vents in the mask and then Corey comes out with a gun shoots him in the broken control metal guyver gets up gets his chance rips it out and he starts falling apart and we get the grand finale what happens Arian? You, I can't do it, but uh, let, me, let me just demonstrate for you, those guys watching at home. No, you can't. It's too sexy. It's, it's too, too sexy. sexy. That's one of these. Oh. <laughs> yep. We get the Mega Smasher. Uh, that's what it's called? He does, he, he, called he the Mega Smasher. Flashes, he flashes the, uh, the guy for Zoonoid and, and hits him with a chest. What is it called? Yep. What's Mazinger's uh, Breast Fire? Yeah, Breast of Fire. Breast of Fire. That's what Gyver he does. has. Guyver has Mega Smasher. Guyver has some of the best names. The high, the high frequency blades, uh, the pressure cannon. That's the who has who is the Psycho Crusher. That's uh, that is M Bison. The Street sure. Fighter. That's my yes. best. Yes, such a cool M Bison name. uses the power of Psycho to levitate and you know run an international crime organization. Uh. Guyver 2's well, guy, Guyver 2, Guyver's own always defeated. Might as well be Guyver 2. Sends the ship off and then uh, takes off with the girl. Credits. Everything that I just described, which is just pretty much like a base apply to this movie, does not do it justice. God damn it, do I love this movie so much. And um, in the post interview, which unfortunately Arian had to take off. Because you had to drive an hour and like a half to come up and even watch this thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they went, things started at eight. It's a 90 minute movie. So they took a little break. We all got our, our stuff signed. There was actually a display. Someone brought some props. So one of the Zonoid heads is still there. They had the Guyver unit in the suitcase and like behind the scenes pictures. And then David Hayter was just kind of hanging out, signing everything for everyone. And then all the rest of the cast and crew uh, took into signing stuff for everybody. But Hater, to be fair to Hater, he showed up like 20 minutes early. He went, hey, everyone, I'm David Hater. And everyone's like, yes, we know. Okay, cool. Uh, I can't be here till midnight. So if you guys want pictures and autographs, come up right now. I'll happily take care of all of them. That was but really we got to nice do it now. That was really nice. Absolute absolute gem of a human being. This guy was amazing. And he actually, to, be, to his credit, he hung out. 
He brought yeah. up his lovely wife, who has a small part in the movie. And they, yeah, I mean, everyone on that stage talked from 10 p.m. to midnight. So it was like a two-hour uh, Q&A. And, you know, there was a few questions from the audience, but just everyone was just reminiscing about the good old days that they had. What was your uh, favorite uh, bit of information? Um, the fact that they shot that movie in eight weeks, the budget, which was insane. Um, just uh, there's Hater talked about the sequence when he runs off the cliff. He's like, here's the thing. That's a real cliff. And Steve wanted the shot to like, he's like, run as fast as you can. Like you're with, with gusto. Like you're, you know, cause in the shot, he's going to jump off the cliff. He's like, there's 50 feet of that 30 feet across the road that I run. So he's like, there's a point when you see me like getting towards the camera that there's a look of fear on my face because there was an assistant that was literally there to catch my legs. If I tripped and fell over the cliff. So he's like, I have to run and then stop, but they need to get this shot. So um, the insane hours everyone pulled, uh, but listening to the stories, just you got a sense that everyone was there because they all wanted to make a movie. They were, were, were making cinema, no matter how ridiculous this is. And um, the fact that afterwards, like I talked to Steve Wang for a couple of minutes. One of the cool things that uh, the tidbits he dropped is that uh, he mentioned that Max Factor, who makes the Figma uh, action figures, and uh, I think it's Androids, they're doing a Giver figure based on his Giver design. So Giver. that might mean we might get a Giver Zonoid as well, too. Nice. But I can't wait for that. Need it. And, yeah. Um, but it's, th- this movie just has a lot of love. It's got heart. I know it sounds, you know, kind of hokey but this movie has heart this is what i miss go ahead look this is i know we say this a lot but this is the exact kind of movie that we think of when we talk about movies for common kaisers it's not 100 it's not it's it's not the best movie in the world but it's it's entertaining as hell it's entertaining as hell yeah it is it is a great way to spend 90 minutes it takes it takes a lot of risk. There were people there, they were going up and like I I used to rent this movie when I was a kid. Like there was one guy that said like, no, my dad I bugged like my dad rented it for me one time, and I got hooked to the point that the video store guy after renting it for like the 18th times like just just keep it. He's like I wore this movie out when I was he's like I was eight when I saw this movie. I'm like damn. To be fair, my dad was also letting me watch stuff that I shouldn't have been watching either. And like, and he actually encouraged it too. So uh, I've told the story famously, but like years later when he was living with me for a brief time, he would raid my DVD collection. And one morning I woke up to him watching Tetsuo the Iron Man at like six in the morning. I'd look over at him. I'm like, are you watching Tetsuo? He's like, son, you cried when I tried to take you to see alien three, you cried. This is 100 times more screwed up than anything that was in that movie. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe I would have been more apt if you didn't show me aliens at four and just, you know, freak me out. You have any idea how long it took me to come back around to this? So, yeah, he got a taste of what my movie, what my movie taste became, and he's just like, I, I don't know where I went wrong, but good lord, like, 
there is shit in here I would never, ever, ever watch. But I'm like, yeah, that's what being a movie buff's about. This this Q and A, absolute banger of the probably like three dozen Q and As I've attended in the greater Los Angeles area for movies. This is top three. Nice. I, the only one to me that comes close. They're the only two. There's two that are come close to this. One is seeing Werner Herzog when he was presenting Aguirre and uh, Fritz Caraldo. And this man talked for like two hours in between the movies. I love Werner Herzog. I can listen to his description of the enjoyment of film all day. Him talking about Nicolas Cage. He's like, Nicolas would come up to me and ask me, what is the motivation for my character? And I'm like, Nicholas, it does not matter. He is simply evil for the sake of evil. So just take it from the enjoyment of the bliss of evil. I'm like, God, everything you say is a poem. It's a poem. And my top, my number one, number one screening I've ever gone to was the 20th anniversary of RoboCop. I got to see it with Peter Weller. Was that when he was uh, after Miguel just passed? No, this was two twenty. So eighty-seven, ninety-seven, oh seven. No. So no, it might have been twenty-fifth anniversary. Oh. It was somewhere in there. That it, it, wait, oh seven, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13. It was the twenty-fifth anniversary because it was a week after my my mom got remarried. So that's how I, I put it together. <laughs> But this was at L.A., at the theater at L.A. Live, and it was run at the time when um, L.A. Times had the the hero complex, and they would focus on all the nerd stuff. So this is at the peak of all that. And they had Peter Willow come out. Robocop is either the first or second fa- a favorite movie of mine of all times. I love I've watched it more times than I can count. I can probably write that movie verbatim in my sleep if I needed to. But seeing Peter Weller there, here's the thing with Peter Weller. Peter Weller is a man of passion. And this guy grabbed the mic out of the MC's hand. He This this poor guy, in the two hours that this went on, asked four questions. And Peter Weller just took the floor. And he was like a mad grandpa at film school. And, my God, like, you could not get enough. Like, he, you had, they had to rip the mic from his hands. Like, he went on for hours about stuff, about film theory, about kicking kids out of his film class at UCLA because they never saw Jaws, uh, how much he hates Training Day because of the whole Denzel and Ethan Ethan Hawke talking to each other, and he's never looking at the road at any point. He's like, no. So this is this this whole thing, this whole night was up there with those two. So that's pretty big shoes to fill, in my opinion. But if everyone, like even by Steve and um, David's own admission, they're like, when this thing was put together, we thought we would walk through those doors and maybe like three people there and the rest would just be the cast and crew coming to watch it. But they were, I think they were as shocked as anybody to see it was nearly sold out, which filled my heart with such joy because this is such an amazing damn movie. I love this movie to death. Not just because I love Guyver. Because, again, like I said, Giver 1 okay. Giver 2, though. This. This is cinema. This is John Boo. I'm going to scramble his name. 
Jumbo, uh, the guy that directed Parasite, that oh, meme yeah. of him smoking a cigarette going to me, this is cinema. This, this is cinema to me. I love it to death. You got martial arts, you got monsters fighting, you got alien technology. If I had never discovered the enemy, this still would have been one of my all-time favorite movies. I, I adore it to death. So, any yeah, final it's... words, Ariane? Do you got any thoughts? Uh, go watch it. That's my final words. If you haven't seen this movie, go watch it. It's easy it's, it's up on... Um, you can find it on oh, YouTube. Oh, yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, that's the other thing. Um, because there's no 35-millimeter print for this, they had to blow up from, I guess, whatever source they got. And um, uh, like a hardcore Guyver fan actually went through and cleaned up this movie. It looks great. Like the movie shot on 16 millimeter. And there's a charmed 16 millimeter that I think is kind of lost. I wish more. I know it's expensive to shoot on film. And that's part of the problem. But there is something about seeing there's that grain. You know what I'm talking about, right? The yes. film grain. It adds, it's a character in of itself. It just adds a warmth to most films. And seeing that, like, projected up there on the big screen, it looked amazing. Absolutely amazing. They, they updated it for, or I think the AI, AI upscaled it, but looked absolutely stunning. So if you haven't, go find it. It's You can buy the DVD, like, on Amazon for, like, 10 bucks. So... Uh, it's definitely something I would have in any personal collection as I am a physical media guy till I'm in my grave. And even then, these, much like the pharaohs, these are coming with me. Some Tomb Raider 400 years from now, and they're like, we have no technology left. But wait, this fat guy was buried with his stuff. So we have to go find it. Um, yes, fantastic night. Amazing movie. Couldn't have asked for a better time. And uh, once again, a shout out to... Uh, Dom O'Brien, because this book is amazing. We're going to try to get him on pretty soon to talk about it. So we're probably going to go deep diving into the making of Guyver in the next few weeks. So Arian's got to check out the book first, so before we can even get anything set up. But I want to give a shout out. If you guys want to pick this up, I highly recommend it. It's called Budget Biomorphs. It's by Dom O'Brien. Uh, Bear Manor Media is where you can pick it up. So I got the hardback version, but I think there's a there's a uh, soft cover version too. So yeah, that's it. Any any other thoughts? Uh, no, aside from go watch it if you haven't seen it. Uh, you don't really need to see part one uh, to nope. watch to understand. They kind of no. briefly. Uh, they give a they give a brief, yeah yeah. It's 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 standalone even though it is a sequel. But you can if you never watched the first one, you'll you won't be lost. So. Um, there's, there's a lot to like in this movie. There's a lot to like. Not a lot. Not a lot to dislike. A lot very of, little. Lot like. It's got lot charm like. out the wazoo. It's it's like again. It's it's everyone just came together and like we're going to make a movie, and you can see the love that was poured into this thing. Uh, did we decide what we're doing next? Oh, uh, not not. Uh, it's not uh, Wild Zero. It's uh, Eight Thousand Volt Dragon. Electric Dragon, 8,000 volts. We're getting back. My bad. My bad. Yes. 80,000 volts. I even got it wrong there. Electric Dragon, 80,000 volts. Uh, Very uh, avant-garde cinema. 
But we're uh, we're kind of swinging back around to the Japan pool for a minute because there's some uh, deep cut classics in there. So you want to talk about shot on 16 millimeter? This movie was shot in 16 millimeter and in black and white in the 2000s, which you know at that point it's an artistic choice. So that'll be our next movie in uh, in a few weeks. So check us out then. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, remember we do have our other show, which is the Catch Kingdom podcast, hosted by myself and Jessica Sang. Although this past episode, as you're listening to this, are in steps uh-huh. for Jessica because we discussed Godzilla minus one minus color and uh, talked to, ironically again more black and white cinema. <clears throat> uh, we can follow us on social media. We're on X at the Kaiju Kingdom. Instagram at the Kaiju Kingdom and Facebook.com slash the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast, as well as our main site, the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast.com. We're also, if you're listening to this and not watching us, we have a YouTube channel. It's YouTube.com at the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. I have been putting up a lot of stuff. Arian is actually submitting his first video to our channel. He's got a yeah. nice unboxing video that we got coming up. So check that out. Shout out, uh, Shout out to. Shout out to the shop Black Market. Those guys are great. Um, I highly recommend their services. Uh, if you're in the Texas area, check them out when they do shows. So shout out to them. So if you like what you see here, like you can watch actually this episode. If you are watching this episode, thank you. It, but if you're listening to it, you can actually watch it and see Arian Mind's uh, face as we discuss this stuff. Yes. But I also throw in, I, I throw in a little more visual... I'm a zoonoid. Uh. I tried to throw a little more visual flair for the uh, for the YouTube version. So you can check us out there. Like and subscribe if you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do. So that will do it for this edition of Common Kaisers. For myself, Ann. Adios. Thanks for it's watching, guys. Real. Thanks for listening. And we'll see Press you next time. Tire. And I guess, like...